it's not just me that it's working on, you know, it's other creative people in a creative profession. How can I share this with architects and designers? And I thought, well, you know, they're pressed for time, but what do they have to do anyway that they're pressed for time for? And that the answer was continuing education. So today's episode is a really unique conversation that I had with someone that I met a couple of months ago on Clubhouse. And what's unique about this is that so much of what I do is about providing information and resources to help you grow your business and to help you thrive. But this conversation is really more about you, the individual, and helping you focus on the help and wellness that you need to become a high performer. I'm excited to welcome Megan Mazzocco to the podcast today. Megan is the A&D Yogini. And if you're wondering what that is and what Megan has to say about health and wellness, tune in to today's episode. I appreciate you and thanks for being the best part of our community. The Trend Report is proudly sponsored by Indeal, partners in progress to the commercial interiors industry. To learn more about Indeal, please visit their website at indeal.org. I'm Sid Meadows, and I'm a certified professional coach, and my focus is on high performance and growth and helping my clients move into action. I'm a personal and professional development junkie, an avid podcast listener and reader, and my passion is all things contract interiors. In this podcast, I'm going to provide you with information, education, ideas, and tools to help you in your personal life, your business, and our industry. So let's have some fun and welcome to the Trend Report Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Trend Report. I'm glad you're here for what I know is going to be another great conversation, and I expect this one to be fun. So I'd like to welcome to the show today, Megan Mazzocco. Megan is the A&D Yogini, and I think this is going to be a great conversation. Hey, Megan, how are you? Hi, Sid. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, I'm glad you're here. So Megan and I met on Clubhouse, and that led to a LinkedIn relationship, which then led to an offline conversation to learn a little bit about Megan's story. And I'm like, you have to come on the podcast because your story is awesome. So why don't you take a minute, Megan, and introduce yourself and tell our listeners who you are and what you do today. Sure. So my name is Megan Mazzocco. I am the A&D Yogini reporting from the intersection of place and well-being. And just being a B2B journalist and in the architecture and design industry, interviewing experts across markets, and then synthesizing kind of, you know, complex ideas and information, products and systems into approachable and timely insights has made me really appreciate the power of design. And then as a lifelong yogini and kind of health nut, I really came to embrace the designer's abilities to apply material innovations and best practices to achieve collective health outcomes. And so that's what inspired me to kind of view everything through the lens of health and well-being. That's awesome, actually. So let me ask you a couple of questions, all right? So you started as a journalist. Yes. And so which magazine were you working for? So I was senior editor for Architectural Products, Architectural SSL, and Net Zero Buildings Magazine. Okay. Yeah. And I'm an independent contractor as well. So I am an independent journalist and have reported for 
several other titles in the design space. So Metropolis Pro Builder, hotel industry as well. That's awesome. So I'm sure you're a much better journalist than I am. So I write a column too. So, but it was a learning process to learn how to write and to be a journalist. Uh, and I actually, I quite enjoy it now, but I would not call myself a journalist. And so that's how, that's how yoga by design was kind of born is because my path was through design kind of to, to yoga. During my career, I had an undiagnosed illness for about a year. And I was just exhausted. I couldn't sleep enough. I really couldn't think straight. So it was difficult to do my job. And I relied on a lot of my yoga practices. I developed a sleep ritual and also kind of a mindfulness and meditative practice because I was at some points too weak to do yoga. So let me ask you, Megan, how did you get into yoga? I was in my early 20s. 20s when I got into yoga, I think I went to a local health club and I said, I want to have the body of a ballerina. What sport should I do? First off, I love the way you do that. I want to have a body of a ballerina. What sport should I do? And they obviously recommended yoga. And uh, a guy who calls himself Dr. Sweat recommended yoga, Pilates, and then his kickboxing class. Okay. And so I set out on all three of those things. And eventually I noticed that the residual effects of yoga were helping me in other areas of my life off the mat. So that's why yoga stuck. So can you give an example of how the residual effects, how they were impacting you positively in other aspects of your life? Because um, yoga is not necessarily about stretching or flexibility. It's about being in these uncomfortable positions or weird postures, right? And breathing and not judging yourself and remembering to only use medium effort and then to not get frustrated. So basically that pause or that ability to sit in discomfort and just breathe through it is something that applies to any kind of discomfort or uncomfortable situation that you may find yourself in. I mean, and I traveled a lot of the time and business travel can sometimes be disorienting and uncomfortable, unpredictable, and you have to kind of manage and and, yep. and go with the flow and not get caught up in the fact that things are not going the way that you want them. Yeah. I think, I think business travel is one of the most potentially one of the most stressful things that you can actually do, right? Because flights get canceled, they get delayed, people get upset, the airports get crowded, you know, the line to the Starbucks is a hundred people deep. And there's a lot of frustration points at an airport and it does create a tremendous amount of stress. And I'll tell you, I haven't really traveled in gosh, three or four years, like really traveled the way I was and when I was doing my corporate job. I don't miss it. I don't miss it. I, I mean, I, I traveled at spring break. My family and I went on a vacation at spring break. We all have our vaccines. And so we went on a vacation at spring break. And it was, I was like, I looked at my wife and said, yeah, I don't want to do this. Plane didn't have an empty seat in it. I mean, people were cordial and nice because of what's going on in the world. But nonetheless, it was just a packed plane and long lines. I'm like, I don't miss this at all. I don't miss it at all. So Megan, tell, will you tell us how you became a yoga instructor? 
Well, it's funny that you ask because honestly, I did not set out to become a yoga instructor. I fast forward 20 years after, you know, I I was introduced to yoga and yoga stuck. I'm on a business trip in Temple, Texas, and I um, meet somebody from the design industry. Her name is Grace Jeffers. She's a design historian and a lecturer. And she ends up, uh, it ends up that we're pretty close. Our hometowns are pretty close. And she's like, Megan, you have to meet my yoga instructor. So I meet Suda and I had never felt compelled to do my yoga teacher training until I met my teacher, Suda. So I went to Chicago Yoga Center and I started my yoga teacher training. And I, like I said, I didn't set out to become uh, a yoga instructor or yoga teacher, but one of my classmates um, worked for Advocate Healthcare and they needed a teacher at an educational toy developer uh, company that's in my area. So kind of just as like a favor to a friend in a pinch, I was like, sure, I'll you know, I'll teach them. And so these practices that I had started creating for my, to sustain my daily creative renewal, um, I kind of beta tested them on my students at the educational toy development company. And apparently they were quite effective because right before COVID, they had actually asked me to increase my time there. So I was doing two days a week and they wanted to increase it to three days a week. And so after kind of observing that, I was like, I got to bring this stuff. It's not just me that it's working on, you know, it's other creative people in a creative profession. How can I share this with architects and designers? And I thought, well, you know, they're pressed for time, but what do they have to do anyway that they're pressed for time for? And that the answer was continuing education. So that's kind of how I thought I could serve the design industry in a meaningful way. And that also explains the name of, of my company, Yoga by Design, because I came to yoga through, through design. So Megan, I think that's great. And what I love about this is that where you are today happened because of a chance encounter on a business trip in Temple, Texas. And I think if we pay attention in the world to the people that we meet, you never know the impact that they can potentially have on you or where it can lead. And now all these years later, it's led you to offering a CEU to the A&D community that's helping them become better people through the power of yoga. That's awesome. Thanks. I um, I really have to say that there's certain power of creativity and, you know, co-creating with the universe and um, the serendipity that, you know, that is available when you're mindful, you know, of your experiences. And um, speaking of mindfulness, I have a funny story from that corporate, from my corporate yoga class. On Valentine's Day, I brought a box of chocolates and I was going to use it in a mindfulness kind of exercise. So I said, everybody, please, when you come in, if you're not allergic, please, you know, take a chocolate. And I didn't tell them not to eat it. So everybody, as a week, I'm like, okay, it's 12 o'clock. Let's get started. And I'm like, okay, everybody, you have your chocolate. And everyone's like, we ate it. <laughs> so... so I look in the box, right? And it's a fancy like heart box of chocolates. Somehow, again, the universe, 
there was more chocolates and enough for everybody to take another chocolate. And so I said, okay, let's everybody take another chocolate and let's do this now. So in a mindful way, we paid attention to what the chocolate looked like because it was designed, you know? And then I said, you know, now you can smell it and maybe you can guess, you know, what the filling is or what the flavor is. And then as you bite into it, notice where it's hard or crunchy and notice where it gives. And then as you taste it, notice the different flavors and the contrasts um, between them. And as you kind of swallow it and begin, you know, the digestion process, just notice kind of the taste that's lingering on your, on your tongue and in your mouth. And I asked everyone, which chocolate did you enjoy more? The first or the second? And it happened to be the second. So even though I didn't even plan the mindfulness activity for them to just eat the first one, <laughs> that's how it worked out. And it was, it was a beautiful lesson and a beautiful activity. And um, so I think that is a great story and a great exercise. Honestly, it's prompting me. I want to try that with a group and see what happens and do that to it. I think it's a great lesson in mindfulness. So I really appreciate you sharing that story. So Megan, for somebody that is not done yoga or is interested in yoga like me, um, it's kind of been on my list of things I want to try, but I've actually never done it. And during the probably the height of the lockdown, I kind of did a little bit of research about it, tried to find a local place near my home to go because I've never done it. I don't know any principles about it or anything. And nobody was doing beginner classes. And so I still haven't found any in-person beginner classes yet to go to. But, you know, my question for you is what tips would you give to someone that would encourage them to just start out on a yoga journey? I guess I would say that you did the right thing in trying to find a beginner class. Networking with your local yoga studio is a, is a great idea. If you're just starting out and you'd like some individual instruction, I would suggest maybe working with a private teacher, especially if there isn't a beginner class. And some studios have what's called like a community class where it's offered for free or they have all levels. And I know that I was taught to just teach to the most beginner student and the more advanced students will do what they need to do to get their practice. Okay. So basically what you're saying is research yoga studios in your area, find a beginner class. If you don't, you could probably find something online to at least get you started. And we just got a Peloton in my house and I know they have yoga. So um, as soon as I have the opportunity to go up there and play around with it and figure it out, I got my account set up. So That's all I've done so far, but I'm excited to check that out and see. And also just remember yoga is kind of more of a mindset. So like if you just, if you cross your arms right now, go ahead and cross your arms. Now uncross them and do that the wrong way. Yep. So I'm going to give this as a visual for those of you that are listening. Those of you that are watching on YouTube, you actually saw it. But if you take and you just naturally fold your arms, look at where your hands are. And, you know, for me, my left hand is on top of my right arm and my right hand is underneath my left armpit. Now, what Megan is saying is do it the opposite because this feels comfortable. Now do it the opposite and it feels really uncomfortable, right? It feels really uncomfortable. And that's really what yoga is about. 
Exactly. So it's just, it's just a mindset. And so you just did, you beginning yoga. Well, look, there you have it right there. Okay. So I'm good. So Megan, your love for journalism, your love for design brought you to this intersection of health and well-being and led you to create a CEU and kind of where you got your A&D Yogini tagline. So tell us about that, a little bit about that journey and a little bit about that CEU, because I think this is fascinating. Okay, sure. So the practices that I was mentioning earlier, just like paying attention to my yoga meditation and sleep rituals in order to minimize my burnout while I was working and traveling and raising two boys. And I kind of noticed kind of a little, I guess, irony in the architecture and design world, which was we're designing these healthy buildings, right, for the best collective health outcomes, which I I'm totally fascinated by, you know, how buildings can give design cues and how they can be instruments of health. That's why I co-moderate the room architects as healers, buildings as medicine on Clubhouse. And the one thing that I thought was a little ironic, though, is that there was still kind of this high pressure, you know, crush it culture in architecture and design. and. I was noticing, you know, there wasn't always rest and recovery for architects and designers. And then when there was a CEU requirement or a series of requirements for relicensing, a lot of the time, some architects that I knew would be cramming, you know, basically to get their CEU requirements so they could be relicensed. And it was not a restorative process. And CEUs are great, especially on-demand ones are amazing when you are working on a project and there is a particular area of, of, of knowledge that you need to you know, specify correctly. So you want to boost your expertise and that's, you know, that's really available to you. But a lot of the time it's not billable hours. And so it doesn't, it doesn't become a priority until there's a deadline. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I could make the CEU process a restorative one for architects and designers. And because the practices that I started incorporating in my life really actually helped me as a creative writer and as a journalist, I thought, why don't I bring that to the architecture and design world so the people who are designing well buildings can actually embody wellness themselves? And be truly sustainable because a lot of these practices, they tend to boost creativity. And the simplest of of all of the practices is basically getting enough sleep. So a lot of people say, well, the world would be such a better place if everybody did yoga or the world would be such a better place if everybody meditated. And I just say the world would be a much better place if everybody simply got enough sleep because sleep is the number one predictor of health outcomes, mental health outcomes, as well as physical health outcomes. And the World Health Organization has actually identified sleep deprivation as an epidemic in United States and several other industrialized countries. So it would just be phenomenal if everybody could just commit to um, getting enough sleep. It's so powerful and so true, right? Because 
And we're going to talk about your sleep system in a minute, but we all know the adverse effects of not getting enough sleep. We know how we feel when we wake up and we've only had four or five hours of sleep and how it impacts our day, both our productivity and our wellness, as you're pointing out, that the world would be a better place if we could all get at least eight hours of sleep every night. We'd wake up a lot happier individuals, that's for sure. And it actually boosts your creativity. So that's one thing um, that I teach in the A&D toolkit for daily creative renewal is how to sleep, how to get restorative sleep, and then also a simple gratitude practice because people who have a gratitude practice not only are shown to get better quality sleep, but they also tend to find solutions in unlikely places and are generally more successful. Today's episode is brought to you by 2020 Connect. Registration is now open for the 2020 Connect free virtual event that takes place June the 14th through the 17th. This has been created specifically for the contract interiors industry and is guaranteed to educate, motivate, and inspire. The schedule is live and is constantly being updated with new sessions, guest speakers, and innovative presentations. 2020 Connect is a -a one-of-a-kind virtual experience where inspiration, creativity, knowledge, and resources all come together to help you build a stronger business. Please visit 2020spaces.com forward slash 2020 Connect to register and learn more. All right, so let's hang out there for a second. Name the CEU again, please. It is called the A&D Toolkit for Daily Creative Renewal. Okay, so I love the name of it. Is it both a um, IDEC? Um, is it for interior designers and architects? So does it have the AIA approval as well? It is just IDCEC approved at the moment. Okay, awesome. I love it. I love the title of it. And so you teach certain things in here. And one of the things that you just hit on is one of my most favorite things, which is a practice of gratitude. And I want to talk about that for a minute because anytime that I do individual sessions or group sessions with my clients, regardless, my first question and how we start out every meeting is, what are you grateful for today? And I ask myself that question all the time. And there's so much for people to be grateful for, but I I have a rule around it. So when we have our gratitude minute is really what I call it. You can't say generically, my health, my family, or my friends. You have to look deeper to what you're grateful for because anybody can say, oh, I'm grateful for my health. Well, okay. I'm grateful for my health too. Sorry, I keep hitting my microphone, guys. But I want people to really look deeper about what are they really, really grateful for. And it's such a great practice to get into it. So when you're talking about that in your CEU, how do people respond to that? Well, it's great because a lot of the time, someone in the audience has a gratitude practice already. Yep. So I don't even really need to push that practice because there's already a a spokesperson in the audience and they're not planted. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, because what that means is that people are starting to acknowledge the importance of gratitude more and it actually really does change your mindset. It actually does change your brain. It builds, you know, new neural pathways that alert us to opportunities for joy and delight and happiness. So it actually does change your brain and your brain chemistry significantly. So I didn't know that. I didn't, there obviously is scientific studies around that. I did not know that. I do it. I, I didn't realize it changed your brain, which is fascinating, right? 
Neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity. I can't even say it. But anyways, I do it because I've watched how powerful gratitude is in changing the energy in the room and changing the energy of the way the person shows up. So somebody comes into the room and they've had a bad day and it's time for our coaching call or our business, our facilitation call or our strategy call, whatever it is, and they're in a bad mood. That's part of the reason why I do it because I've watched it shift the energy from negative to positive and change the entire outcome of what the conversation is about. I didn't realize it was connected to changing the pathways in your brain and neuroplasticity. Yeah, it overrides the brain's evolutionarily wired for negative bias. Okay. The brain is wired for negativity? For negative bias. It's a survival technique. Oh. So if you see a stick out of the corner of your eye when you're walking in the forest, your brain wants you to believe that that's a poisonous snake so that you will avoid it and avoid being killed. (laughs) So that is why we have this negative bias, but you can override that if you have a habit of regular gratitude practice. And I call it a ritual because the thing that's fascinating about a ritual is it can be, a ritual can be 20 seconds. And this gratitude practice can be 20 seconds of your day. I always suggest writing it down, but sometimes the effects ripple out when you actually do your gratitude practice around the dinner table and, you know, and announce it or broadcast it. Yep. But either way, whether you're vocalizing it or whether you're writing it, you're embodying those, those ideas. And that is what is helping to change your brain and forging new neural pathways. So I love this. And it just goes to show you how fascinating the human brain actually is, right? It's just fascinating. It's well beyond my skill set to study the brain. But it's fascinating the things that the brain can do. You know, I wrote an article for the Business of Furniture magazine, probably April or May of 2020. And the title of the article was Lead with Gratitude. And that's when I started my Gratitude Minute. And I got so much positive feedback about that article and how people were starting to implement that practice. And I love that you say 20 seconds because acknowledging what you're grateful for doesn't have to be this long drawn out thing. It can be just 20 seconds. And I'm currently, you're, you're inspiring me, Megan. I'm currently writing an article for called the 20 seconds of courage. I'm going to write an article now about 20 seconds of gratitude. So thank you for that inspiration. Stay tuned. It'll come out soon. So Megan, you got this um, CEU. You're focusing on architects and designers. You're focused on health and well-being. At the center of that is sleep. And I know you developed something called the sleep system that kind of came out of the issues that you mentioned earlier that you were having relative to burnout. And I'm really curious because this is something I struggle with. Sleep is a good night's sleep can be really, really hard to get. So talk to me a minute or to our listeners too about your sleep system and what this is about. So the sleep system is basically me writing down all the things that I've ever tried to do to create a healthy sleep hygiene or basically a solid foundation to get a good night's sleep or to get restorative sleep. And I've been doing these practices for, I don't know, three, four years now, but I never thought to write them down until the pandemic and people were struggling really with sleep. 
So the sleep system is going to be part of the A&D Wellness Toolkit website, and it's going to be a downloadable ebook on the website. And uh, anybody can can go there and, and download it. Okay, hang on. When's your website going up? That's great. Um, it will be up May 17th. So probably around the time that this posts. Okay, that's awesome. So we will drop the link to the A&D Wellness Toolkit website in the show notes, which will take you to look um, to the Megan's website and you can actually find the sleep system ebook that you can download. Now, I'm excited about this because it sounds you went on a journey yourself for, to improve your sleep. You captured what you were doing and then you created a, a, a platform and a program out of it to help people sleep better. Mm-hmm. And so basically it's kind of the process that Aisha Bursell, who's an uh, industrial designer, uses is deconstruction, reconstruction. So you're deconstructing all of your kind of poor sleep habits or things that don't serve you well to get sleepy at night or to get a good night's sleep, and then reconstructing with habits that give your body sensory clues that it's time to wind down. Um, And some of the sleep habits can be during the day. Uh, for instance, movement is really important to getting a good night's sleep. And I don't say exercise, but some people are like, oh, they have a little limiting belief around exercise, but it can be movement. It could be laughter, it could be gardening. Really, there are studies showing that um, movement is almost as effective as uh, sleeping pills. What kind of movement? Just walking around the house or walking outside or just sitting to stand? I mean, give us some descriptors of movement. Descriptors of movement could be like a spontaneous dance party, could be yoga for 20 minutes, could be walking around outside, could be golfing, gardening, Tai Chi, Qigong, any kind of any kind of movement. Sure. And so what you're saying is make that a habit, make that like a daily ritual to be sure that you're moving throughout the course of the day and that's going to contribute to you sleeping better. Yeah. So basically what you said, deconstruct and then reconstruct. So what you're telling us is to retrain our brains. Yeah, pretty pretty much. It's, it's more ways to move your habits. So I say 28 days to better quality sleep, but it does take longer to form a habit but that designers and architects tend to be very strongly oriented in the senses. So a lot of the healthy sleep habits that I introduce are sensory cues. And because that tends to orient us and give us more information, it builds this healthy foundation and you feel the results immediately. For instance, you're drinking tea, right? That then over time, You enjoy drinking the tea at night before bed, and it becomes a healthy sleep habit that contributes to your body being able to wind down and get a good night's sleep. Okay. So Megan mentioned I'm drinking tea. I'm not normally a tea drinker, though I have started recently drinking tea, but I actually made a cup of tea in honor of Megan because I knew that she was a tea drinker. So rather than having coffee, I'm having tea with Megan. She's having some tea too. So we're having a little tea time on the Trend Report podcast today, which I love, right? So Megan, give me three tips, like three things I could do today without the ebook 
that would help me sleep better? Like three really fundamental boom, boom, boom that would help me sleep better. Well, we already covered the gratitude practice and people who have a regular gratitude practice sleep better. And then movement. I think that if you take five minutes for a break every hour or 20 minutes once a day to move your body, that will be something that will help you sleep better. And then I would say cutting out. Go ahead, say it. I'm waiting on you. Say it. Go do it, do it, do it. There's some things that are that are very addictive that you don't know, need to go away like caffeine. So I'm trying to think of something that's maybe easier to add. The screens are actually something that is really addictive and you need to cut out at least an hour before you you want to get sleepy enough to you know, to go to bed. All right. So I love that tip right there. So you said gratitude movement. I do gratitude every day. I'm moving all the time. So those people that are listening that have been on the phone with me here can hear me walking around the house because when I'm on the phone, I just can't seem to sit in my chair. So I walk and that's movement. But putting the phone or the iPad down an hour before you go to sleep will help to facilitate better sleep. Mm -hmm. And The idea is the light coming from the screen. So some people will have their phones go on, um, what is it called? Night mode. Mm -hmm. That is good. Another thing that I tell people is to dim half the lights or dim the lights. If And if your lights aren't on dimmers, turn off half the lights in the house. And um, I know that sometimes that can cause dimmer wars. between people who are like, I can't see anything anymore. Um, But it's really, it's really conducive to letting your body wind down and and get sleepy because it's that, that light cue. So it's, it's just like our bodies need to wind up in the mornings and get moving in the mornings by, you know, drinking water, journaling, exercising, whatever it is you do to get your day started. We need to wind down in the afternoons or in the evenings as well to, to facilitate a better sleep. And I know the screen thing is going to be a huge challenge for most people because we're, we are addicted to these little devices and we always want to look, oh, let me check my email before I go to bed or let me text, look at my text messages or let me check Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever. But the light is a stimulus. It's stimulating us. It's stimulating our brain, which is to taking away from us going to sleep. And depending on what kind of media you're consuming, this could cause you to become more aroused because if it's something that's emotional um, or upsetting or exciting, either way, mm-hmm. you, you don't want to increase your arousal le- levels when you're supposed to be winding down. So here's a couple easier things that are a little bit easier to add in. I already said the tea, right? So like an herbal tea, a chamomile tea, if you're not allergic. And then Another thing that's that's really nice to add in is just some lavender scent with essential oils. So again, that's an all natural plant-based smell or scent and lavender tends to be calming. Let me ask you about the lavender scent for a second and essential oils. I don't know much about them, but is that something that you would actually put in the tea or would you like put a drop on your skin somewhere for the smell? So lavender is a very gentle oil. So wouldn't I would not put it in the tea. I would rub it on my skin or I would put it in 
like a little diffuser. I don't know if you've seen those. Um, yes. I know the little diffusers you can put in your room that kind of put a smell in the room. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. Or you could just open the bottle and smell it. <laughs> oh, okay. That easy. Actually, I think in our house somewhere we have a lavender essential oil. So I'm going to try that and see if that works. I mean, I love these tips. Gratitude movement, turn off the screen, dim the lights in your house by 50% an hour before, have some herbal tea, um, some type no non-caffeine herbal tea, and then use lavender in some way. These are all, all takeaways that you could do to help get a better night's sleep because it really truly is important. You know, Megan, what I appreciate about this conversation is so many episodes that we do on the Trend Report are about helping you grow your business or helping you grow professionally. This was actually really about helping you, the individual, improve the quality of your life by understanding the practices of yoga and the benefits of them, you know, deconstructing and reconstructing and then tips about getting a better sleep. And I think that this has been an amazing amount of tips and information for our listeners. So I really, really appreciate you today coming on to join us. Any final thoughts for our listeners that you could give them that would help encourage them to focus on their health and well-being a little bit more? I would just say thank you so much um, for having me and for the opportunity to be here today, Sid. Um, I really appreciate it. And I guess just treat your treat your body and your yourself well. Um, and if you want to be a high performer this will make you, this will contribute to, you know, high performance, to, to creativity, to problem solving, to being able to roll with whatever life, you know, presents and in, in life instead of reacting. That's awesome. I appreciate that. And you brought up something near and dear to my heart, which is high performance and physiology is a one of the six pillars of high performance in which the physiology is about taking care of you. So I appreciate you highlighting that. Megan, it was great to see you. Thanks for being here. I hope I get to see you in the upcoming months. If not, definitely, I hope to see your smiling face and meet in person at Neocon um, in October. So thanks for being here. I appreciate you. I can't wait. Thank you, Sid. Take care. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of the Trend Report Podcast. I'm glad that you're here. And I hope that you got some amazing value out of today's conversation. For more about our podcast and this episode and our other episodes, please visit my website at sidmeadows.com. We look forward to seeing you next week and go out there and make today great.